0: Now, as you're able, would you please remain standing for the reading of the word, which today will be done by Tracy.
1: We'll be reading out of Acts chapter 12. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this met the approval of the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of the unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him into prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping Between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and said, When woke him up, Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. The word of the Lord. You may be
0: seated. Well, there's a story that goes something like this. It says that a man was, uh, took a boat out into the middle of a, a large lake and uh, the boat capsized and he is treading water trying to uh, you know, save his life and he cries out to God. He says, God, I've been faithful to you. God, would you save me? Well, a man in a boat, another boat comes by and says, hey, let me throw you a life preserver. Let me, let me bring you in. I'll take you back to shore. And the man says, no, 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 it's okay. God's going to rescue me. A second boat comes by and and the same thing happens. The man says, hey, let me get on my boat and I'll I'll take you back to shore. And the man says, no, God is going to rescue me. A third boat comes and a third time the same thing happens. He says, God is going to rescue me. And finally the man's strength gives out. He sinks to the bottom of the lake and he stands before God in heaven. He says, God, why didn't you rescue me? I cried out to you, why didn't you rescue me? And God says, I sent you three boats. I bring this up because as we look at the story of, of Peter, we see this miracle moment that happens. We see this miraculous moment of deliverance of one of God's people going from captivity into freedom. And it can become very easy to assume that this is the only way that God operates, But I want to say today that, that yes, God is a deliverer, and God delivers in many different ways. And I also want to, as we walk through Acts 12, I want us to see that there are going to be times where we feel like our deliverance hasn't come, our miracle hasn't come. and, And ask the question, well, what do we do in those moments? What do we do when it seems like someone else is getting deliverance or or it's just not coming for this particular situation or the miracles not happen or didn't happen? What do we do in those moments? I think Acts 12 will speak to that. But I want to start with this. In this moment, we see Peter delivered from prison, from certain execution into freedom and back into life, back to his people. And so I want us to be clear today that God is a deliverer and God delivers his people for his glory and for our good. God delivers his people for his glory and for our good. Now, most people in this room, most of you who are watching online have probably not experienced the type of bondage that Peter is experiencing in this moment. I'm gonna guess that most people in this room have not been in prison in the name of Christ with execution waiting the next morning. But we all have, maybe not all, but many of us have experienced different types of bondage in our life. We've experienced different burdens and different things that we are crying out to God for, that we are praying for, deliverance for and from. And so your bondage maybe is that there is a relational struggle and you just want healing in that relationship. Maybe there's a financial burden that you have been praying over. Maybe there is the bondage of loneliness or the bondage of addiction or or the bondage of depression or anxiety. As a matter of fact, I remember uh, a few years ago I was out on a run and I was listening to a new worship song by Thrive Worship, which is a a local group, and um, I know some of the people who are a part of of this worship band, and uh, I was listening to one of their songs called Pour Your Spirit Out. And one of the guys I know, his name is Corbin, and in this song, he tells a little bit of his story. And so I was listening to this song, and these were the words that I heard. Corbin said, Laying flat on my back, I was crippled by fear. Monthly panic attacks for 19 years. But the Lord gave me freedom as I sat in my chair. In the church, I found healing at the end of a prayer. And so his story is, is just that, that he experienced regular panic attacks on a, on a regular basis from early childhood through the early adulthood. And in a worship service, he felt the need to pray about his anxiety, to pray about his panic attacks. And as he prayed that prayer, he felt this relief that came over him and has not had a panic attack since that moment. Like praise God for healing, for delivering him in that way. But I remember I was listening to this song, and I'm out on a run, and I was hearing this, this story of Corbin's, and, and I just started crying, really bawling, really. I mean, I would get up to, to wipe my face, but it's no longer the sweat on my brow, it's, it, it's, it's the water that, that's coming from my eyes as I'm just bawling as I'm running and around Citrus Heights. And this moment just so impacted me and so affected me because I was experiencing something very similar. I had my own bondage, I had my own struggle that I was going through, that I was wrestling with at that moment. I had been experiencing regular amounts of, of panic attacks, a lot of anxiety and even some levels of depression. And I remember that there were these moments where I just realized like I can't keep going like this. This moment where I was working in middle school ministry and serving our middle school students and there were nights where it just took every ounce of energy and effort to stand up and do the very bare minimum that I had to do. And I remember one night in particular where, where I, I did my part and I dismissed our students to their small groups and uh, they're all with their small group please. And I remember going into the sound booth in the tent and, and just curling up in a ball waiting for the night to end because I just couldn't handle what was happening that evening. Now, I know for many of you, you're like, yeah, you were working with middle schoolers. I'd be curled up in a ball as well, but different reasoning here. But I remember suffering through this. I remember sitting in vacation a few years ago and, and, and having this moment of this is not working. I just, I can't keep going like this. I'm, I'm not the best version of myself. I'm not being the best version of myself as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a person. And just realizing that something in life had just weighed down heavily on me and was preventing me from God's best, preventing me from doing what I felt I was called to do. And I remember having these moments of prayer and crying out for one of these miracle moments and saying, God, why won't you deliver me from this? God, surely it is for your good, for your glory that I would be healed from this. Surely you want me to be the best version of myself as a husband and as a father and as a pastor. God, why are you not rescuing me from this? Well, I wanted to share this with you this morning because I want to say that God can deliver in extraordinary means like he does for Peter, like he did for my friend Corbin. He can also deliver in ordinary means. And for myself, that's what happened. That started with really my wife who has a marriage and family therapy degree of her own, has done counseling, um, and, and would regularly tell me, yes, Ryan, like you need to go see a counselor. Go and get counseling. And, and of course, I'm being stubborn. and I'm like, no, like God's going to heal me. I don't need to go see a counselor. I'll just pray about it, right? That's going to fix it. And eventually I went to go see a counselor and had a recommendation from a friend that, that hey, go check this place out, send an email. And, and, and so I emailed the, these people and, and filled out their questionnaire and got connected with a counselor and, and just praise God, it was just the perfect person for me. And I'm so grateful that I got put with this counselor and, and just after several months of, of, of meeting with him and, and of sessions, like walked through that, I felt my anxiety uh, begin to fade away. I felt my depression begin to fade away. Um, and, and for the last two and a half years, I think it is, I haven't had a single panic attack. Yeah, praise God. And, and so what I, I want to just let you know is that, yes, God can and will deliver his people. He delivers his people for his glory and for our good. He delivers from all different types of things in all different types of ways. And, and, and yes, we will see, as I said, that we will see these, these moments where it feels like we're not being delivered. It feels like the miracle is not coming. And, and we'll see what we're going to do there. But as we dive into Acts chapter 12, I want to remind us that God delivers, and he has been doing it from the very beginning. I mean, this story actually, for the, especially the original readers and for those who have a, a significant Bible knowledge, th- this might bring up pictures of another deliverance of the Exodus story in the book of Exodus. And so you think about God's people, the Israelites who were in bondage, in slavery in Egypt for hundreds of years. And they were suffering there and they cried out for a deliverer and God sent A deliverer by the name of Moses who came and led God's people through many miracles out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage to the promised land that God had offered for his people. And so we're going to see a very similar pattern take place with Peter where there is suffering, there is deliverance. And then at the very end of it, we're going to see a third part that there is judgment that comes as well. But let's take a look at Peter's story, starting in chapter 12, verse 1. It tells us this. It says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So what we see here is that Peter is uh, Peter's a big deal, right? This is a high-profile prisoner, and this is someone that Herod wants to trot out before the people for public persecution and potentially a public execution. Like he wants them to know that he is doing this to Peter, So just for clarity's sake, by the way, there are several Herods in the Bible. This is Herod Agrippa I. He is the grandson of the Herod that we saw in in Jesus' birth story who had all the newborn babies killed because he wanted to kill the Messiah. He wanted to kill Christ. So killing runs in the family, apparently, for the Herods. And, And not only that, but this desire to stop the gospel, to stop the good news, to stop God's plan from going forward, runs in the family as well. And just like his grandfather was powerless to stop God's plan, we're going to see that Herod Agrippa's best efforts fail in comparison to God's plan and God's power. And so here, though, it starts with a moment where, again, I mentioned that there are times where we're going to feel like deliverance hasn't come, where the miracle didn't happen. And so what we see is God's people are being persecuted And James, the brother of John, James the apostle, this is not James, Jesus' brother, who is part of the church, who actually would be seen later in this passage, but James the apostle is killed by the sword. And when we look and we just think, like, wait, why is this happening? There's no reason for it. Like, Herod just gets excited by pain and just decides, hey, I'm just going to have James killed. See what this does to the people. And he finds that it it pleases the people, and so this excites him and inspires him to want to persecute more. And so he brings Peter in with the intention of having him killed as well. But it's kind of just this, this quick, unceremonious end to James's story. Like, this is James the Apostle. He was one of the inner three, one of the three people that were closest to Jesus in his time here on earth. I mean, he was there present for everything. And we hear very little about him in the book of Acts. And then all of a sudden he's just gone, killed by the sword. And and you stop and you wonder, what's going on here? God, why not rescue someone like James? Why not deliver him? And so what I want us to see is that James' story is a story that, that can bring us some hope, even though it's a really, really difficult and painful circumstance. Because we know that in general, God, well, this is, is factual. God can take that which man intends for harm and turn it into something good. And so in general, even when we see martyrdom, when we see Christians that were martyred, typically what that leads to is it leads to growth in the church. Because it leads to an understanding that there are people who are willing to stand firm in the face of persecution. And so the message that they proclaim, there's, there's got to be something to it. And so the message tends to go forth in places of great persecution. And this would certainly be true for the church here. But we also see another connection. See, in Mark chapter 10, there's this moment where James and his brother John, um, they come to Jesus and they ask Jesus if, if they can sit at the right and the left hand of Jesus in eternity. Technically, it's, his, it's their mom who comes and asks Jesus on their behalf, which is really an embarrassing moment for them. Um, but both of them like, get excited about this idea because what they're thinking about is they're, th- they're saying, hey, we want to be glorified. We want you to lift us up, Jesus. Will you do that for us? And so Jesus has to correct them and remind them that the goal is not for them to be lifted up, but for them to lift him up. And so Jesus asked them, he says, hey, uh, are, are you willing to drink from this cup that I'm going to drink from? Are you able to drink from this cup that I am going to drink from? And they both get excited. And they're like, okay, maybe we're getting an opportunity here. And they both say, yes, we can drink from that cup. Well, this cup is the cup of suffering. And Jesus tells them, he says, yes, you will drink from that cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to decide. And it's this fascinating moment because when he's telling James, what he's saying is, you know, Jesus is going to drink from the cup of suffering. He is going to drink from the cup of God's wrath. He will face the full weight of God's wrath and judgment on him so that we don't have to experience that. But as Christians, there is still a level of suffering that we will experience. And so for James, he's saying, yes, you are going to suffer. And in this moment, we see that James is indeed drinking from this cup of wrath, from this cup uh, uh, of suffering. But the point was not just, hey, James, you're going to suffer. James, you're going to experience pain. No, the point that Jesus was making to James and to John was you're going to stand firm in the face of persecution. You're going to have the strength to say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus, even when it might cost you your life. You're going to have an opportunity to deny me and to save yourself, but instead you are going to choose to glorify me. And to deny yourself as I've called you to do. See, really, Jesus was saying, James, you're going to get this right. In a moment of great struggle, in a moment of great persecution, you are going to have incredible courage, and I am going to be with you and present with you in that moment. And so we look at James's story and we say, Okay, well, great, James was strong, but why couldn't you still deliver him? But he did. And we'll come back to this, but I want to make sure that it's clear that the Bible says that when we acknowledge Christ before men, that Christ acknowledges us before the Father. And James acknowledged Christ before men to his dying breath. It's what cost him his life. And so while we're not sure if James is sitting at the right or the left hand of Jesus, we are certain that he is sitting in the presence of Jesus because he was willing to suffer in the name of Christ, and he was able to stand firm and say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, even when it came at great cost to himself. And so James ultimately was delivered from death to life, and we'll come back to that idea in the end, but let's go back to Peter and look at verse 5. So remember, Peter is sitting in prison. He has 16 soldiers guarding him. He is shackled to two of them. He is a, a, a high-value prisoner. And this is what it tells in verse 5. says, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. All right, so this is our weekly reminder that we as the church, if we are going to be the church, we need to be a people who prays. And I hope at this point you're getting tired of hearing me say that we need to pray Actually, I hope you are not getting tired of hearing me say that, but I hope that you are recognizing this pattern that happens over and over and over and over and over again, that one of the defining features of the early church and one of the defining features of God's church is a church that prays. We need to be a people that pray. And so here's what I want to say this week. If you want to see God show up, and do the miraculous, then you need to pray like it depends on him. If you wanna see God show up and do a miracle in your life, in your family, in our church, in our city, in our state, in our country, in our world, you need to pray like it depends on him because it does. We need to be a people of prayer. And if you're wondering, well, how much should I pray? The answer is always more. Am I praying enough? The answer is always no. Can I pray more? The answer is always yes. How much should I be praying? The answer is always more. The Bible says pray without ceasing because we can always pray more. I mean, we have the privilege of talking to the God of the universe. And if you want to see the miraculous happen, get on your knees and talk to the one who created the universe out of nothing, who wants to hear from you, who literally asks you to come before the throne and to present your requests? We need to be a people who pray. And here in this passage, once again, we see that prayer precedes a great miracle. Verse 6 tells that the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off of Peter's wrists. Anyone have kids in here? Kids, yes? Now, listen, there are two ways to wake up children. Um, With younger children, typically, you're going to be a little more gentle. Right. This morning, my daughter had a soccer game at nine, and so my wife had to take her and my two boys. Um, uh, should take them to the game, so they had to leave like 7:20 this morning. And so uh, the the older two woke up fairly easily, but the five year old was was having a little trouble getting up. And she went in and and gently woke him up. And you know I don't know exactly, but she probably rubbed his back and got him up very gently. He woke up and just said pancakes. I don't know. He wanted pancakes. Uh, we don't have time for that, you know, this morning. Um, but then he he comes in and, uh, and and he comes into our room, and and I'm sitting in bed reading my Bible. And just want to make sure you knew I was doing something holy while staying in bed. Um, and he comes in, and, and, and he wants to snuggle with me, and, and, and it's like, you know, Benny, you can't. Like, you got to go get ready. And he's like, but I just woke up. And he's so, like, distraught. And he's like, we know, buddy, but you got to go get dressed because we got to get going. And so we're very, very gentle. Listen, I'm a, I'm a sound sleeper. I, I sleep hard. I sleep well. I'm a good sleeper. Let's put it that way, right? And, and so when I was in middle school and high school— Um, my parents would come in and they would rip the covers off of my bed. Um, They would turn the fan on and the lights on. They would yell and shout and make a lot of noise. My mom would come in sometimes and pour water on me because like, they were like, we are getting you up and you are getting up now, right? Maybe some of you had that this morning, like you're trying to get to church and you're like, we are late. Get up, get ready and have a smile on your face because we are going to church and we're gonna love Jesus, This is one of those moments where it's not a gentle, hey, Peter, get up. It says the angel of the Lord struck him on the side and said, get up. Because here's the thing. God is going to deliver on his timing. But when it is his timing, he's going to deliver with haste. And this is good news for us. Because when God says it's time to deliver his people, when God says it's time to deliver us, he is going to do it quickly and with urgency. He is not letting Peter sit in prison any longer. He is saying, no, you are done experiencing prison. It is time for you to experience life. And so he is going to get him up and move quickly. And all these miracles are happening in this section, the next couple of verses. And so we see that, that the angel has shown up and the chains fall off. Peter and the angel walk past 16 sleeping guards without disturbing any one of them. And then they reach the iron gates of the prison, and the iron gates just open up for them. God is doing miracle after miracle after miracle, and this is so similar to the Exodus story where God sent the plagues, and then the water split apart so they could walk across on dry land, and He provided food and water for them in miraculous ways. God is a deliverer, and He is also a provider. And so here's the thing, Peter, he has this moment where he's led out of prison into life. He thinks he's dreaming, and suddenly it dawns on him, this is not a dream, this is reality. And it tells us this in verse 12. It says, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. So he's going back to the house of God's people. This is there is where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. I love Rhoda's energy. Just forget about letting Peter in. I'm just going to go tell everyone. I'm so excited that he's here. And here's how they responded. They said, "You're you're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. I love this moment because I mentioned last week how Acts is a reminder to me that I might not be perfect yet, right? It's a reminder that the church is maybe not filled with perfect people, that we still have some room to grow, that there's still some sanctification that needs to take place. Because here is is the church of God meeting together, praying for deliverance for Peter. And when Peter is delivered and he shows up, they're like, no, that's not possible, Like the most logical thing to them is Peter must be dead and his angel is visiting us. Like that is more logical to them than Peter has gotten out of prison and is knocking at their door in person. And I love this moment because while God's people were actually praying a faithless prayer, God remains faithful. God remains faithful to his church, to his people. Even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. He is the same regardless of what we do. And in this moment, what is happening is the people of God were so focused on circumstance, circumstances, they were so focused on the things of this world that they were missing out on who God really is. They were looking at all these obstacles and all these hurdles and saying, yes, there's no possible way it can happen. But with God, all things are possible. And so while they were praying, they were praying faithlessly because their eyes were focused on the wrong things. Their eyes were focused on this world rather than being focused on God. We need to keep our eyes on Christ and remember what he is capable of. Rather than thinking of what is possible based on our own understanding of creation. Trust that the creator is more powerful than the creation. And so we keep our eyes on Jesus. And there's another part to this story. It's Herod's part. If you remember in the Exodus story, there's a moment where the Egyptians certainly faced wrath and judgment in the, the 10th plague. But they also, as the Red Sea split apart, they walked through on dry land. So the Israelites walked through on dry land. And the Egyptians tried to follow, and the sea covered them. And that way they faced judgment. And it tells us in verse 21, it says, On the appointed day, Herod wearing his royal robes sat on his throne and delivered a delivered a public address to the people they shouted this is the voice of a god not of a man and immediately because herod did not give praise to god an angel of the lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died that eaten by worms by the way is an internal like stomach worm and bug just so you have that visual for you um So Herod faces judgment because he did not repent. He did not turn to God. He did not trust in him. But listen to this in verse 24. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Church, we are on the winning side. If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, you should have a great deal of hope and joy no matter what our circumstances are because we will find victory in Christ because there's nothing in this world that can overpower our God. And so here, King Herod, who had all the power and authority that the world could present to him, was not capable of stopping God's plan. And so while Herod died, the word of God continued to spread and flourish. And so I want to just back us up to this moment at the beginning of chapter 12, where it tells us that James died by the sword at the hand of Herod. Because in that moment, it feels like God isn't present. It feels like God is not delivering. And we asked the question, well, what do we do when it feels like we're not getting the deliverance we want, the miracle we're expecting? What do we do in those moments? The answer is we remain faithful. James remained faithful to the very end. He was willing to give his life for Christ because he knew it would be worth it. Because while James did not experience deliverance from the things of this world in this lifetime in the way that maybe some had hoped he would, he certainly experienced deliverance from death into life eternally with Christ. And so the reality is that God always delivers his people for his glory and for our good. See, for those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ, we have been saved and delivered from the bondage of sin into life with Christ. And so the Bible makes it clear that we all experience this bondage of sin. It tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it tells us that we are going to suffer because of our sin. It actually tells us that the wages of sin is death. So we will suffer to the extreme amount that we can, to the furthest amount that we can. And yet, it says the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so when we cry out to God and we repent of our sins and we turn from our evil ways and we turn to God and say, I want to receive your free gift of grace. I want to receive your mercy. I want to receive the free gift of Jesus and put my trust in you. And I'm going to follow you as Lord. Jesus is our deliverer who takes us from the bondage of sin and the shackles will fall off and we'll walk past the enemy into life, life eternally, and life to the full with Christ forever and ever. This is the deliverance that God always provides for his people. So we as God's people should pray for deliverance over the things of this world. Pray for deliverance from the bondage of loneliness, addiction, depression, financial struggles, Pray for healing and relational issues. Pray for God to do miracles. But keep our eyes focused on Christ, knowing that our true and final deliverance will come. And so what I want to do is I want to close us out in prayer. And I want us to pray this verse together. I would encourage you to spend some time in Psalm 40 because it really is a psalm, a prayer, a cry of deliverance. But verse 17 speaks to this idea of saying, I am not capable of doing this on my own, but God is. And so it says, God, deliver us and do not delay. Do it quickly as we know that you will one day. So would you stand with me? We'll read this together as a closing prayer. And we'll continue to worship together this morning. So let's read Psalm 40, verse 17 together. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. God, that is our our cry. That is our hope. That is our prayer. That you will rescue us. That you will save us. That you will deliver us from the bondage of the things of this world. But God, most importantly, from the bondage of sin and death and destruction into life, life eternally, life with you. God, thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to be our deliverer. Help us to put our trust in him and keep our eyes on you in all circumstances so that we keep our hope and our joy, knowing that one day we will be delivered into life and all things will be made new. God, we love you, and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.